This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. As I mentioned last week, we're doing two episodes a week now. Every Tuesday, we're going to be covering AI use cases and AI return on investment, looking at different sectors, different applications, and showing a real range of where AI is making its way into business. And every Thursday, we're going to be doing an episode on making the business case, talking about general topics such as AI adoption, AI deployment, etc. So this is our Tuesday episode, and we're going to be talking about a topic we haven't covered in quite some time, which is AI and trading. A lot of you are interested in wealth management and investment management, and artificial intelligence is certainly making its way into that world. We get more venture capitalist perspective this week as we speak with Ash Fontana. Ash is with Zeta Ventures in the Bay Area. I spoke with Ash for this episode. He was up in the North Bay. I could recognize for the trees behind him when we started the episode. We, he did the episode outside, which was kind of fun. We're all trying to stay sane in this coronavirus pandemic that we're enduring here. But Ash shares some light on the present and the future of how artificial intelligence is making its way into trading and how the workflows and the actual approaches to trading might shift as artificial intelligence becomes more and more embedded. Ash has a pretty high-level perspective on this theme, and I think it's a useful episode. We've done a lot of coverage on the investment management, the wealth management side of artificial intelligence, as well as all the vendor companies in that space. If you want to get a sneak peek of the vendor landscape for artificial intelligence and financial services, then be sure to download our short PDF brief on exactly that topic. You can download our vendor landscape brief at emerj.com slash vl1, and you'll see some of the top takeaways from our AI opportunity landscape work in financial services. The AI opportunity landscape is really for enterprise clients, but you can get a quick snippet there. And if you are with an enterprise firm, you can learn more about how to get in touch with us about the full opportunity landscape work. But we are allowing folks to download that brief online. That's emerj.com slash VL1 if you want to learn about some of the companies that are doing exactly what Ash is talking about in this episode. Without further ado, we're going to fly right in. This is Ash Fontana with Zeta Ventures here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Ash, uh, we'll start things off and, and talk about your perspective as an investor and someone who's worked in finance as to where you see the intersection of machine learning and AI in kind of investing and trading today, where you're starting to see those opportunities. Yeah. In a sense, it's um, just an extrapolation of a lot of history here, which is, you know, the best firms in the world have been using some sort of machine learned um, or statistics-based self-learning algorithm or method or model for a really long time you know all the best trading firms in the world have been doing that for a long time you know so in a sense you know where do i see things today it's just sort of more of the same and just incrementally experimenting with new techniques and whatnot as they're developed in the research field you know machine learning is being used the same way it's always been used which is to get to an insight or make a prediction that you know perhaps your competitors haven't been able to make and therefore get ahead of the market. And so that's where I see it being used today. And I think, you know, what do I mean by incremental? You know, again, a different type of model. So using more deeper neural networks to find patterns in data, very, very large data sets without necessarily having to come up with rules for those patterns ahead of time. Or, you know, using not just a different method, but a different data set that comes online. So, you know, lots of consumer data has come online over the last five to 10 years, you know, whether that's how people are behaving online, what their preferences are, what they're clicking on, 
through to what they're spending money on, uh, how they're consuming content, um, all that sort of stuff, which you can use to obviously value certain companies. And then, you know, other data sets coming online, imagery data sets and whatnot. And then you combine the two of these things, so new data sets, new methods, and then you can get all sorts of new insights. You could recognize objects and images and figure out demand patterns and supply patterns, you know, demand of certain things, people going in and out of parking lots and supply patterns being agricultural commodities or whatnot. So, yeah, it's just sort of more of the same. And the, the sort of people that were really good at um, doing regression analysis in the 70s are the same sort of people that at a fundamental level understand machine learning today because machine learning is just statistics at its core um, or probability. You know, so the same people working on newer things with more data and more powerful computers. And, you know, the classic examples are sort of what you've articulated, you know, how many uh, mm. how many cars in the Walmart parking lot, how many shipping containers yeah. leaving this yeah. port in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. These are proxies for economic activity. Is it essentially in your eyes sort of, you know, maybe we used to be able to train on X different types of, of data, maybe astronomically more structured than we can work on now. But but now we can sort of pull in a little bit more of the unstructured mm-hmm. world as signals and kind of mm-hmm. level up. You talked about, mm-hmm. I think, an incremental. Is this sort of the way you're you're framing it? Yeah, uh, it's one of the ways you can frame it. I mean, one is there is more structured data. Two is there are more ways to write a model or there are more techniques to use when modeling that uh, around that data or building a model that learns from that data. And three, you've got more computing power to actually run those models. and you know, obviously these things all flow into each other. Yes, but yes, it's also what you said as well, um, which is you can work with more unstructured data. So I think, you know, there are improvements in modeling and data sets, computing power that help you process both structured and unstructured. Unstructured is more of a greenfield, of course. Like previously it was very, very difficult, if not impossible, to work with unstructured data like huge volumes of text as now and especially in the last couple of years we've had so many breakthroughs in this regard with BERT and GLOVE and all these other word to vec type models that allow you to sort of represent text as a vector and therefore start playing with it because the vector is uh, just a set of numbers and that allows you to do cool stuff and you know analyze demand well ahead or understand demand well ahead of others if people you know very trivial example if people are talking about a product on Instagram or in a forum uh, and how cool it is and whatever else that might be an indicator that product's about to take off. It's a very trivial example, but you know, all the way through to reading news and whatever else. So yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I don't think we fully appreciate just how impactful specifically a lot of the language understanding techniques that have been developed in the last couple of years could be. Safe to say, I mean, you know, the, the technologies Mm. are new and exciting enough just for understanding mm. email, never mind determining whether Amazon yeah. stock price is going to go up or down. Exactly. So yeah, the, the possibilities are going to really be cracking open here. When you look at this world, you kind of mm. talked about the same people that were good at this back in X day are sort of going to be the folks that are moving forward. Mm. Now, do you really see this as still somewhat relegated in the hedge fund cutting edge world? Or do you believe that today some of this is beginning to mm. interface with the bigger you know investment banks or, or yeah. commercial banks? Oh, both. I mean, look, the big investment banks and commercial banks have hedge funds. I I think, you know, the common denominator here is talent. I don't think the common Mm. denominator is data or computing power because that has sort of benefited from an unscaling, so to speak, as in 
you know, most people have access to really, really powerful computers. Most of these organizations do. They're not that expensive. They're not sort of locked down anywhere or whatever yeah. else. So I don't think that's the common denominator. Yes, yes. The common denominator is in the thing you need is talent. Yeah. So in a sense, you know, the very best hedge funds in the world have always been able to de-shore, rent tech, et cetera, attract the very best mathematical talent. But, you know, so have the big banks like, you know, Goldman and Deutsche and all those have attracted the best mathematical talent for a long yeah. time as well. Yeah. And so two things are happening, you know, one, more of the same and two, something different, more of the same, meaning they continue to attract the best mathematical talent, A players, big A players, and they'll continue to be able to hire them, they can afford them, they've got the right culture, etc. But in another sense, you know, there are a lot of tools coming to market, there are a lot of courses online, and there's a lot of impetus for more people to learn data science and machine learning. And so the talent pool is expanding very rapidly, which then means that, you know, other second and third tier banks or hedge funds that are not necessarily completely dependent on machine learning, like high frequency trading and other organizations are able to hire people as well um, because yeah. there are just more of them out there. And with more supply, the price goes down, like is in the cost of hiring these people. So, yeah, the big ones will continue to hire the best but others will be able to hire someone at all, you know, where it was previously the case 10, 20 years ago that, you know, you just, unless you were D sure, you just couldn't hire anyone that could work with the machine learning model from first principles. It seems like there's, and you'd have a take on this, it seems like there are some sort of sense even outside of the mathematics around where do we apply it. For example, to say mm -hmm. shipping containers are more important than tweets are more important than... Mm -hmm name something I could quantify, I couldn't quantify before. I mean, it's borderline endless. To pick among mm -hmm. those things that we could call the new features that we want to train on mm -hmm. feels to me like a subject matter expert or industry expert's yeah. job. Is there yeah. also a burgeoning new space mm -hmm. for how to, you know, you had talked about, which I think is a great point, how untapped mm -hmm. BERT and these various and sundry tools are. Same with probably a lot mm -hmm. of computer vision. Is there another mm -hmm. role for that too, that sense of what the heck we want to train on? Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's so idiosyncratic, right, to the problem. And I think that's where banks have always, or, or research institutions, equity research houses, or whatever, have always relied on industry experts. And so, you know, I remember as a, as a public equities analyst, you know, if I really wanted to understand something about a particular demand pattern for airplane tickets, because I was covering some of the airplane stocks, then we would talk to or I would consult with a very specialized firm that looked at or understood plane ordering and leasing better than anyone else or that's on the supply side and then on the demand side, you know, a consumer research firm or whatnot, whatnot. And then we would take that information and then build that into our models. Yep. And so, you know, this has always happened. And I think, of course, with most of these supervised learning techniques, and a lot of the other techniques that you use to make predictions that are in the machine learning realm, you, you do have to sort of have some heuristics or rules or features built in from the beginning. And you do need, you know, very specific industry or domain expertise to figure out what they are. So there always has, there always has been, and there will continue to be a role for people who actually understand the design of the system yeah. rather than just sort of, try to evolve it by building a machine learning model and naively throwing it at a data set. Yeah, math math for math's sake. 
So yeah, in in-house market research, out out of house market research, whatever the case may be, somebody to give us, you know, domain expertise, you know, industry experts, something, yeah. something to train or something to know where to point mm-hmm. the cannon. Mm-hmm. The the second question here, Ash, is around where this is taking us. You know, today mm-hmm. we're beginning to see where this new quantumental dynamic of quantifying the previously fuzzy elements of the satellite imagery and what have you. Maybe five years, ten years out, maybe investing is going to be somewhat different. There's going to be a new normal, new normal for skill sets, new normal for mm. how hypotheses are developed. What do you see that new mm. world as being in your eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, firstly, I just learned a word there, quantumental. Um, I'm curious about that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think, it's, um, I think it's Morgan Stanley's got the best article on it if you Google the term quantumental. But regardless. There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, I get it. Been around for maybe, maybe, maybe um, a year and a half ago, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I think the catchphrase of the future is just rising tide. And I've hinted at this, you know, more people understanding machine learning and data science, more data sets available to them to work with, more techniques being published in an open source or on archive uh, in an open source way or on archive or whatnot that you can then implement yourself, you know, cheaper computation, a very more accessible computation, more flexible ways in which to interact with very powerful computers. You know, all of that just means it's a rising tide and that is more people are able to make better predictions. And so the new normal is that everyone's making really good predictions about a whole bunch of stuff. And to get an edge, you just have to be even better. You have yeah. to understand the system that no one understands by using an ensemble of different machine learning methods or models rather than just one thing to predict one method or model to predict one thing yeah so i think you know the bar just gets higher and higher things get quicker and quicker margins get lower and lower (laughs) that's the that's the future that's the new normal and it's a good thing because you know you could make an argument that it's a good thing because there are more efficiencies as in more assets will be priced more efficiently if more people are pricing them with more competent people are pricing them. So I think that's where it's all going. Yeah. Cool. Um, I've hesitated to use a word because it's a little bit overused, but I'll use it, which is democratization. Yeah. 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 uh, I I think that, you know, that's a great point. And the point that you brought up before where the common denominator is talent is a good one. And that ties Mm -hmm. right to it because as you're mentioning that, that's starting to become accessible with all these various mm. and sundry MOOCs. And mm-hmm. does that mean, in your your eyes, maybe closing note, that mm-hmm. smaller firms, you know, you used to have a supercomputer, you used to have to have, you know, mm-hmm. only MIT PhDs. Does this mean that yeah. there will be maybe more smaller, whether it be hedge funds yeah. or banks, that'll be more punchy in your eyes? Absolutely. Okay. I absolutely believe that. Like if you look at the typical structure of a technical team at a hedge fund or high frequency trading firm even a couple of years ago a lot of those people were maintaining and building bare metal computers um, and their own infrastructure and so a lot of them still are for good reason Um, a lot of them were collecting and cleaning data a lot of them were building or maintaining data pipelines that now you know will now are able to be maintained or built or managed externally um, using sort of fairly freely available products and tools and whatnot and at a, at a price that's cheaper than your internal cost. So, yeah. yeah, I think there'll be more firms interacting with each other in more ways. And, you know, to extrapolate this right out, you know, ultimately <laughs> I think everyone will be working for themselves in a way and sort of contracting with each other on sort of a 
model by model basis or a trade by trade basis. Anyway, that's a whole nother theory. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that general trajectory. Cool. All right. Yeah. A, a punchier, Great. a punchier world with hopefully more accurately priced stuff. I think we can all believe in that that's one. Right. Well, that's all sure. we have for this episode, Ash. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the new theme we have going here every Tuesday covering use cases, every Thursday covering making the business case. This coming Thursday, we've got an excellent episode on AI readiness. What does it actually mean in an enterprise? Any of you, whether you work within a big enterprise or whether you're selling to enterprise companies, if you want to move forward with a project, you've got to determine, are we ready to do so? Well, you're going to learn a lot about that this Thursday. We're speaking to someone from a $20 billion company that's seen a lot of the progression of computing hardware and artificial intelligence who's got some excellent perspective on exactly that topic. So stay tuned for the Thursday episode in just two days here on the AI and Business Podcast. And if you're not already, be sure to follow us on social. It's just at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter, or you can look up Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook, and you can follow us there. Not only will you see all of our latest articles, but you'll also get all of our podcasts as soon as they're live. You'll be able to be reminded. So if you want to see our infographics, our reports, our articles, and our interviews, follow us on social. That's Emerge, E-M-E-R-J, or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. That's all for today. I look forward to catching you for Thursday's episode on AI readiness.